You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. That, that last song we just did, I heard Sean through the wall practicing that song and getting ready for today, but it was more he was working on the harmony parts and so he could teach the team and everything. So I'd never heard the whole song until this morning, and it about wrecked me, just about wrecked me. Um, just thinking about, you know, the people in this room, I know the heartache and the things that you've gone through and we've gone through as a church family, but yet you still cry worthy and you still sing to him and you still love him and you still show up to learn more about him and you're still in your word. And, uh, and then I was thinking about down in Uvalde, Texas, and what's going on down there in that community and how that community has been totally wrecked um, due to the acts of one individual who was just uh, possessed is what it appears to be. I mean, just something outside of humanity that could cause someone to go in and do what that young man did. And, uh, and people would look at that and go, how can you cry worthy to a God who lets that happen? How can you worship a God who allows something like that to take place? And I'm thinking, how can you not worship a God who is the only hope for a sin-wrecked, broken world that we live in? God didn't ordain that. God didn't ordain that. But in the midst of that, there needs to be hope. There needs to be a voice of hope and a message of hope. And the only hope that we have is not found anywhere in this world. It is only found in Jesus Christ. And that is why we are here. That is why we preach the gospel, because the gospel is the good news. It is the hope in a world that is broken by sin. And it will never change completely until the Lord returns and delivers us up from this. And we are ultimately free from this. And uh, that's our hope for you today. You come in here today, or if you're watching online because Memorial Day weekend or whatever, we just want you to know there is hope in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And that's why we can raise our hands. And that's why we can bow our faces to God and sing, You are worthy, because we know that's where our hope lies. And so as we are wrapping up this message of be free, um, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed talking through and learning more about the book of Galatians that Paul wrote to that group of believers, but certainly for us as well. And, uh, and as we entered to this last chapter, this question popped up as I was thinking about it, and it was, how do you react when you hear of someone falling into sinful behavior? How do you react when you hear of someone falling into sinful behavior? And for those of us in the room that are followers of Jesus, that rings a little differently than maybe somebody who is not a follower of Jesus. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, it ought to stir and inspire something in us that would run to a need. But others, it might not inspire the same because we just kind of view it differently. And, and so today what I'm going to be talking about is Paul writing this to a group of Jesus followers who were looking to Jesus as their example and listening to his instruction or reading his instruction as their uh, roadmap and how they should respond to people who are caught in a transgression or they have fallen into sinful behavior. And the three reactions that we typically have, two of them mainly, number one is we tend to avoid people like that. 
I mean, if you ever know of somebody who has fallen into a sin, it's hard to talk about that, and you don't want to really talk about that to them, and so you avoid them. You might see them in the grocery store or in the community, and you avoid them because you don't want to talk about, or you don't want to face them about the sinful behavior that they've had, or maybe that you've had. Another way that we react is we judge people, and we love to cast judgment, and we may label it as a prayer request, and we talk to somebody about that, but really is what we're doing is we're casting judgment on them for the sin that they have fallen into. And Jesus knew that that would be one of our typical human reactions to, to really judge people. And that's why in, the, in Matthew chapter 7, in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, do not judge unless you want to be judged. Because the same measure that you use to judge others is the same measure others are going to use to judge you. And he talks about getting that beam out of your eye before you go picking splinters out of other people's eyes. Because we have a tendency to judge. And it's easy for us to judge when it's not our sin. It's easy for us to judge. But when we fall into our own sin, get ready, because the same judgment you use to judge them, somebody's going to turn that around on you, and they're going to use that same measure. They're going to use that same measuring rod or that same method to judge you. So that's not the answer either. The answer for us today is to restore. That is what Paul is talking about in the beginning of this final chapter. As he writes it out, he is just saying that if you have fallen into sin, we all want someone to gently, in a loving way, to restore us. We don't like condemnation. We don't like people to avoid us. We don't like people, well, maybe there are times we would want them to avoid us, but we certainly don't want them to judge us. We want them to restore us in love. We don't want somebody condemning us. And so as Paul was leading up to this, remember what we said last week, you are saved by faith alone, but saving faith should never be alone. And we talked about how that saving faith that you and I have as followers of Jesus should always be coupled with love. It always should be identified through the love that we show to one another because the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of a life lived in obedience to the new commandment. That new commandment, Jesus said, is to love your neighbor as yourself. He summarized the entire law in that one phrase right there. You love your neighbor as yourself. That's how people will know that you are a follower of Jesus. And so Paul closes his letter out with these, with some marks of what a mature believer looks like. And he's talking about this fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit, as we said last week, and I'll have it on the screen, so I'll grab my Bible, and he says in chapter five, he says, this is what the fruit of the Spirit, and it's singular, it's singular, it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's just as you grow in your relationship with Christ, there is fruit that is produced, that others can see, oh, they, there's something different about this. I may not believe what they believe, but I certainly want what they have, and so here's the fruit of that. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is the overarching thing through all of this. It's love. It's joy in the midst of some of life's hardest circumstances. It's peace that surpasses all understanding. It's patience with other people. It's kindness toward other people that are not kind to you. It is goodness toward those who don't deserve your goodness. It is faithfulness in the midst of things that would cause you to get off track. It's gentleness, even when you want to be mad and mean and ungentle and, and harsh. It's self-control. He says against those things, there is no 
law. And so when you look at that list that is the fruit of the Spirit, these are the things that should be bursting forth from our life. It's the, it's the fruit that our lives should produce as followers of Jesus Christ. He's saying the fruit of the Spirit is evidence. Those things are the evidence of a life that is lived in obedience to this new commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he closes his letter out with some marks of a mature believer because as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we should be marked by maturity. And Paul lays out three things here that display the fruit of the Spirit in our life. The number one thing is this. Mature believers seek to restore others who have fallen into sin. As a mature believer, we should seek to not destroy other people, but to restore other people. We don't destroy them with our remarks, with our gossip, with our rumors, with the way that we talk about them. We should seek to restore those. And Paul is, facing, is, is focusing on these relationships and this personal character after closing out this heavy, heavy, heavy doctrinal letter. As the first two chapters, he's really uh, introducing who he is and establishing his uh, apostolic authority and, and kind of scolding them to some degree about falling into this sinful behavior of following the Judaizers, slipping back into old law when you've been saved by grace through faith. He's, and so he's establishing that. The middle two chapters, chapter three and four, they are both chapters dealing with a lot of heavy, heavy doctrine. He fleshes out this idea of grace through faith, being saved by grace through faith alone. And then these last two chapters, it gets a little bit more practical for us. It's a little bit more of how to live it out. Because listen, your theology means nothing if it's not practical. I don't care how strongly you believe in your theology. If it doesn't flesh out in the way we deal with one another, it's of no value. Because knowledge itself puffs up. It makes you pride. It makes you prideful. You gotta flesh it out. And that's what Paul is doing. He, he establishes who he is, lays out the theology, tells you here's how, it, this, this is why it matters what you believe. And so these three marks of maturity, the first one is it seeks to restore others who have fallen into sin. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, this idea of caught kind of has the, the, con the connotation of being caught from behind and almost being caught off guard. It was like, I didn't intend to become an alcoholic, but I just was with my friends and I just wanted to take that first drink to kind of fit in. Now I can't do without it. So I've slipped into it. I've fallen into it. I didn't mean to become a drug addict, but I took my first hit of marijuana or I took my first pill or I took my whatever and now I'm addicted to that. It wasn't that I intended to. It's that I feel like I got caught up in it. I just got caught from behind. He said, now there are people like that among you. There are people like that that are caught up in sin. And those of you who are spiritual, you should be the ones to restore them. The spiritual are not the ones who think they're spiritual, not the ones who are the Pharisees among us, not like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. They're the ones who really are marked by the fruit of the Spirit. They're, they love one another. They are compassionate to one another. They're kind, they're gentle. All of those things, that's the spiritual ones. It is your job to restore those who have fallen into or caught up into sin, and you do it in a spirit of gentleness. You do it in the spirit of the fruit of the Spirit. So it's an identifying mark, the way that you restore people who have fallen into sin. You don't judge them. You don't talk about them. You don't gossip about them. You probably shouldn't even share with anybody else their name as a prayer request. It's you go to them and you go to restore them, not to judge them or condemn them. And so he says, you restore them. And it's like, this is the idea of like 
mending a fishing net, or if you've had a broken bone, it's like restoring a broken bone, resetting a broken bone. I've never broken one that had to be reset, but I know that that's a painful process. You know, when your bone is broken too and you gotta go to the doctor or the emergency room and they, they reset that bone, and they line it up, it's painful. It's painful, it's painful to be reset, but that's the only way healing can take place. So you who are spiritual have an obligation to reset those who are broken by sin. That's what Paul is establishing for us. There's, there's something about the body of Christ that restores the broken bone in the body. And so you restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Even though it may hurt a little bit, it's still in the, I'm gonna do this as, as, uh, as gently as I possibly can, but it's still going to hurt a bit. And you do it in the restorative gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, though, lest you also be tempted. He's saying, you gotta be careful that you don't fall into some level of sin yourself as a result of trying to restore them. You don't wanna fall into the sin of pride and arrogancy and thinking, I'm better than them. No, don't fall into that. So be careful when you go down that path. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill that law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. That is, that's the law of Christ. That's what he's laying out. So you bear one another's burdens. So when you have a burden of sin, those who are spiritual come alongside and they help bear that burden. They help get you back on track. They help you stay accountable to someone so that you don't slip back into that sin. Or when you do, you have somebody to answer to and keep you on track. He says, for if anyone, this is how you can slip into sin. If you think that you are something when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. So if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Because our tendency is to slip into pride when we see other people fall. We go, oh, boy, I'd never do that. Of course you wouldn't. But we've got some things that you would do, and just maybe people may not be able to see it on display like you're seeing theirs. But our tendency is to slip into pride. And he said, listen, if you think you're something, when you start to look at people around you that are falling into sin, don't think you're something, lest you also deceive yourself and you slip into sin as well. Because we have two things going on here in this book, in this letter. It's legalism, and then he's talking about this grace by faith, or salvation by grace through faith. And so legalism condemns people. Legalism is what we as Christians, the longer we're in this, if we're not careful, legalism what we tend to slip into. We become a Pharisee. We start to look down our noses at everybody who's not doing what we're doing the way we're doing it. And we start to cast judgment on them because legalism is a condemning position for a believer, for a Christian, for a spirit, or for a, a church person, or a religious type person. But grace seeks to restore. Grace seeks to, seeks to restore people back into the body of Christ, back into proper relationship with God. And what I know is love is big hearted and it's not big headed. Love is big hearted, not big headed, because some of the deals, people, people, there's, there's ways that people wanna know about you. Some are really concerned about you, and some are just curious. And you gotta discern sometimes, are they curious or are they really concerned? Because there are people who are big-headed about your sin, and they just wanna know what you're doing and what you're caught up in so that they can get a little bit more prideful that they're not in it themselves. But then there are people who are big-hearted, and they really wanna help you. They really wanna restore you. You can trust them with your secrets. You can trust them with your confession of sin toward another brother so that you can be restored. He goes on, he says, but 
Let each of you test your own work. So you gotta observe yourself, and mature people can do this. Spiritually, mature people can test their own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. What he's saying there, this is not a bad thing. He's saying, when you really test yourself and you go, but by the grace of God, there go I. And you would think, you know, it's easy for me to judge their sin because my sin's not on display. But as a mature believer, we would go, God, I thank you that I have been strong enough through you to not slip into that sin. Thank you that I said no to that temptation. Thank you that I said yes to this. And, and we, we boast or we can be proud of ourselves in the sense that we have gone the right way with our temptations. And we don't slip into this sin. So he's saying, but each of you let him test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. You've got your own burden to bear. So the second thing is this. The first one was mature believers seek to restore others who have fallen into sin. The second thing Paul talks about is mature believers financially support the ministries of the church. Our reaction, anytime we see anything about finances on a board like this or a screen like this, or the preacher starts talking about it, you either go, get them, God, or get, not God. <laughs> Scratch that from the recording. Um, get them, pastor, preach to them, preach, preach, preach. Or you go, oh, brother, here he goes talking about money again. If that's your reaction, there's a good chance you're not mature because we don't like to talk about this if we're immature. But if we're a mature believer, we understand this principle. We know. And so you're like, okay, let's hear it. I, I love this part. Here's what he says. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So the one who is taught, let him share in all good things with him who teaches. Now at Charity, the way that looks is we have a staff of pastors and staff members. And the 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 job that we have is to help you and others grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. We want people to know Christ and to grow in their relationship with him. So that comes through student ministry. It comes through kids ministry. It comes through volunteer ministry. It comes through groups ministry. It comes through our worship ministries. It comes through all these different things. And we do that so that we can teach you and others how to grow in their relationship with Christ. So when you give to the ministries of charity, you are supporting that. And that is just God's design. You see it in many of Paul's letters and other places in the New Testament, that that is how God designed it for the church to be funded. It's through our generous giving. And we're all participants in giving, just like many of you are. And so the staff would never want to take advantage of that. We always want to make sure that we are good employees, but we're also good stewards of what you support us through by your giving. And so Paul is saying, this is a biblical principle. And he goes on, he says, don't be deceived now. Don't, don't, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. This idea of mockery is, is the idea of to uh, kind of turn your nose up at God and going, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna support the church. I don't like the way that they do this. I don't like the way they do that. They spent money on lights. And, and that's the saying, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. If you think that that's not a good plan, you're thumbing your nose up at God. That's what he's saying. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so immature people look for loopholes to not be generous. 
We look for reasons not to give. We look for reasons not to be generous. Mature people look for opportunities to be generous. They look for ways to be generous. And he goes on, and he says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So by supporting the ministries of the church, you are sowing into something of eternal value. It's of greater eternal value than sowing into things that are of no eternal value. Now, there are things that you, you do, your, do with your money that's really of no eternal value. It's just fun, it's good, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you do that and you don't support the ministries of the church, then you are mocking God. As a mature believer, this should just be a part of our normal routine of life. It should be a part of our financial picture. It should be just to be <clears throat> generous. Because I believe this, you will reap spiritually, relationally, mentally, and physically in direct relation to what you sow into financially. You will reap from the things that you sow into financially. And not all of those are bad things, but if you neglect the spiritual things, you will not reap the benefits of spiritual reaping. This is not like a, a, one of those messages, you just sow into the ministry of the church and God is gonna, there's gonna be a check show up at your house. This is not that. And I don't know how it always fleshes out, but I just know that when people who are financially vested in the church, they reap the benefits spiritually in some way or another eventually. He says, and in this, don't let us grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap or we will reap if we do not give up. Don't stop doing it. To those who are mature and generous in this area, Paul says not to grow weary in doing good. The harvest will be coming at some point. Just get ready for it. So then, as a result of that, as we have opportunity, you look for every opportunity to do good to everyone. <clears throat> you look for the opportunity. Charity Cares, that's one of the reasons we're rolling this out this year, is we want you to look for every opportunity to do good to everyone. You go into a store, one of our local uh, businesses, you go in there and you buy one of their gift cards. You've been good to that store because they're local and you wanna support local. You buy their gift card. You walk out in the parking lot and you see a mom and her two kids walking into that store. You give them that $10 gift card. You give them that $20 gift card and you say, hey, we just wanna give you that and this card that says charity cares and Jesus loves you and wants a relationship with you and they reap the benefit of your generosity because you had an extra $10 or $20. And we do that, is it looking for the opportunity to do good to everyone, and especially, even more so, to those who are of the household of faith. So we're good to the community, but we are start right here. We see somebody in our church family in need, we run to that. We, we, the family that um, had the house fire, we're, we're jumping on. Many of you have bought, brought gift cards to help them out. You're running to that, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Because what we do with material things is evidence of how we value spiritual things. The way you sow into spiritual things or the way what you do with your financial income shows a lot about how you value spiritual things. There are many people that show up to church and they love the ministries of the church and they benefit greatly from a kid's ministry, from a student ministry, from small group ministry, from the volunteers standing out there, but yet they never sow into it and you know that's basically freeloading. You wouldn't want anybody to do that to you, but yet you're doing that to God. And so what we do with our material things is evidence of how we value spiritual things. Mature believers 
minister with love as their motivation. This is the last thing that Paul talks about as he closes out this chapter. And I wanna read through these verses. So with, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Let me explain that to you. Earlier in the, in the book, we saw that Paul may have had some bad eyesight. And so as he writes this, he's kind of closing this out in his own handwriting. He probably couldn't see well, so he had to write in big letters. Others say that Paul did this because probably the rest of the letter was written by a professional scribe because paper, not paper, but the things they would write on were so expensive that they would use a professional scribe to conserve space, and they could write legibly in small letters. Paul wasn't a professional scribe. He was just like scribbling. And so he said, see what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand because I love you. I want you to know that this letter is sent to you out of love and concern about where you are spiritually, and I want you to be more mature, and so I'm bringing these things out to you, and I'm showing you by my own handwriting that it is me writing this. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Paul is saying, I'm in a different camp. I've got really no Skin in the game. I started before I realized what I was saying, but I had to finish it. <laughs> it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. He's saying, listen, this is one of those things that, that <laughs> I don't know why that came out like that. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm doing this because I want, your, I want you to be spiritually mature. Sorry, I just lost you all right there. Um, I did not say that in the early service, so that was bonus for you. Um, but I, don't, I want you to know they, they're doing that so they don't have to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So they're just kind of um, pandering to those who uh, would want them to be circumcised. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He's saying if they can get you to do something spiritually, they feel like that's a, that's a mark for them. That is a, a feather in their cap. They can, they can boast in that because they've convinced you to do something that really you shouldn't have had to do. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is saying, I used to be a persecutor of the church, but now it's the cross of Christ that drives me. All I want is for the gospel to be heard, and I want people to know where their hope lies, and that is in Jesus Christ, through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He saved you and me, made a way for our salvation, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. I don't need the things of this world. All I need is to know that people are saved, and they're going to heaven, and I'll do everything that I can to make sure that message is cleared. For him, he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It's not about holding on to religious laws. It's not about all of those things. It's about have you become a follower of Jesus Christ and have you become a new creation in him? Have all things passed away and all things become new? Are you a new creation in Jesus Christ? Paul said, that's all that matters to me. I don't care if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. I don't care if you eat bacon or don't eat bacon. I don't care what you do with your religious practices. I just wanna know, are you a follower of Jesus Christ first and foremost? And then we can talk about all those other little peripheral things. He goes on and he finishes up and he says this. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy, 
be upon them and upon the God or the Israel of God. All of those who walk according to this, hey, I just pray peace and I pray mercy upon you. But now or from now on, let each one calls me, let no one calls me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul went around from place to place preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the thing that mattered to him more than anything else. And in some of those places he went, he was beaten. And Paul says, I am going to go and I don't care if they beat me at every place I show up at. I don't care what level of persecution I have to endure. I am going to tell people about the Jesus I met on the road to Damascus who changed my life and allowed me to be dead to the world and that the world would be dead to me because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I will preach the gospel until I die. And I've gone to places and I bear the marks of those places because they've beaten me. They have stoned me. They have almost killed me, but they've left breath in my lungs. And while there's breath in my lungs, I will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have scars on my body to prove it. And he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And then he says this as he closes out. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The thing that you and me want more than anything is grace. People love grace. We are attracted to and we are drawn to grace. And as believers, as maturing believers, our lives should have some evidence. Number one, we should seek, seek to restore others who have fallen into sin. Not destroy them, not condemn them, but to restore them. Mature believers financially support the ministries of the church because they know that's where eternal treasures lie. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Mature believers minister with love as their motivation. So I just close out with this question again. What is your response when you hear of someone being overtaken by a sin? Do you just think, oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I didn't fall into that sin and we get a little bit boastful and prideful. Or do you have the spirit of, uh, 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 the spirit that, that did you wanna go tell somebody? Did you wanna gossip about them? You wanna destroy them? You wanna make them look as bad as you possibly can? Or does your heart break? Or does your heart just yearn to see them restored back into a personal relationship with Christ? If you've ever had a child that went the way of the world, if you've ever had a child who has gotten caught up in a sin, your desire for them is to see them restored. Your desire for them is to see them come running back home and seek refuge and seek forgiveness and seek restoration. That type of love is the same love we should have toward one another in the body of Christ. And maybe you're here today and you were in a church and you left a church because you fell into sin and you felt condemned and you felt judged, and you felt gossiped about, and you felt talked about and ran down, and you left church, you left faith. Let me just tell you, I hope today here at Charity, you have found a different type of group of believers. I hope you have found a group of believers that wants to restore people who get caught up into sin. 
and not to judge them and not destroy them and not to gossip about them, but lovingly restore them to a place of forgiveness because we love grace. I love it when I get pulled over by a police officer and he walks up to my window and he says, I'm just gonna give you a warning today. Isn't that just one of the greatest feelings in all the world? It is. I've had it a few times in my life. Most of the time they write me a ticket. But man, grace is great to receive. But you know what I know? It is hard to give. We want justice for people who have sinned. It's our human nature to wanna see them pay for what they've done. That's not what Jesus did for you. And that is not what he wants us to do for others. Certainly justice needs to be served in certain cases, don't get me wrong. But our spirit should always be the spirit of restoration, even if it means the, the consequence of the sin on the other side, restoration needs to be sought. And that is what I want for charity. That is the church I want us to have, a place, a hospital for sick people that can come in here that have broken bones, broken lives, that just need to be restored. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is a great place to do that. It's a great time to do that. And we would love to talk to you about that. You can meet Tom or myself down here in the front. You can meet us back in the guest VIP room. If you're watching online, make sure you let us know through a message. And we would love to talk to you more about how you can be a follower of Jesus. And if you're caught up in sin and you need help to be restored, you let us know. We wanna help restore you to a place a fellowship with God and his church. Let's all stand together. God, we are so blessed. We are so blessed to have received your grace and your forgiveness. And God, I pray that as stewards of that grace, we would be good stewards of it to those around us. God, help us to love like you loved us and help us to pour out grace the way you've poured out grace to us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. 